Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition with me, Scott Phillips, and him. Andrew Page. Andrew, of course, is the founder and managing director of strawman.com. G'day, Andrew. G'day, mate. I'm the CIO, Chief Investment Officer of The Motley Fool in Australia. G'day, Scott. G'day, mate. Sorry. You know what I mean? Just a bit of a two Ronnie's for you there. All right. Uh, <laughs> mate, uh, just to get me out of a hole, what is Strawman again? Let's talk about you for a minute. <laughs> Look, you know, it's actually pretty hard to get any coverage on small micro cap stocks. The brokers just don't cover that kind of stuff. Mm. So mm. we're a community. It's not really designed this way, but the focus very much tends to be on that end of town. So we've just got a bunch right. of smart private investors that have got sample portfolios and they add research and insights to these shared company reports. And yeah, you basically get a bunch of coverage and insights and hopefully a few investment ideas on some under the radar kind of stocks. And uh, look, so far, we're smashing the market. So long may that continue. There you go, mate. Fingers crossed for you and for your your members, customers, viewers. Uh, I I say members. Yeah, I I think, yeah, I I really treat it as it's an investment club more than anything else. It's just we're we're an online investment club. So yes, members, all for one, one for all. Mate, thank you for spending your time with us uh, for the podcast. Um, We actually have got some nice feedback for you, but um, I may not get to that because I've, you know, it's only so big we can oh, no, make we, ahead before no, we have to. No, we can make time. I'm cool with that. <laughs> we'll see how we go. <laughs> Mate, uh, let's get straight into it. I get, this is an unusual question, but a really good one. Uh, question from Nick. G'day, Scott. I've got a question. You often suggest listeners see a financial advisor for more personal advice. Any tips on how or where to find a reputable financial advisor who isn't going to push their own agenda? Cheers, Nick. <laughs> this is one of the best questions. Bloody hard to answer, mate. It's such That's an opaque so industry, isn't it? Oh, uh, it's so hard. Like you know, it, I, I certainly don't want to disparage the industry because there are some but. awesome <laughs> financial. <laughs> no, there really are. It's, yeah. it's like yeah. any industry, you yeah. know. There's there's just some yep. some people out there who just whatever you're paying them, it is worth yep. ten times that in terms of what they're doing for you personally. Unfortunately, there there are there are a lot of bad actors out there. They're very much pushing their own agenda. So. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I, I tend to think with financial advice that the, the uh, for for a lot of us the big ideas aren't that tricky. You know, spend mm-hmm. less than what you earn, take yeah, the residual right. amount, right, invest right, right. it long term in some very sensible assets, and just yeah. wash, rinse, and repeat. You know, diversify, yeah. dollar cost, average, all those kinds of things. It's 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 not. It's not rocket science. It's kind of, I actually like to contrast financial advisory <laughs> industry with the diet industry. You know, <laughs> and, and I mean that in the sense that there's some, there are some great people out there that will help you lose weight and get fit and they're, they're yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like, is it that complicated? Like it, it's, it's basically, you know, watch what you eat and do a bit of exercise. It, and it's the yeah. same kind of thing with investing. The, the, the things that are really going to move the dial, the real, the, the big things that really matter, uh, I, I think, you know, listen to this podcast for one. <laughs> but, you know, Clearly the, that's the first thing we should do, exactly. Yeah, so I, I, I would, look, I, I, if I had or a financial advisor and knew some great ones to recommend, I'd, I'd be happy mm. to give the endorsement. But I, I'm, just, I'm really mm. just not in that orbit. So I, I don't know, maybe you can offer a bit more, bit more help, Scott. Doubt it. Um, I'll, do my, I'll do my best. Look, so a couple of things I would say. As you said, mate, not everyone's bad. Uh, there are people who are dodgy. There are people who are mediocre quality-wise. There are people who are mediocre because they subconsciously let incentives drive their behaviours. Now, the industry is much 
better than it used to be. And huge hat tip to the former Gillard government, I think it was, who introduced the future of financial advice reforms that basically banned individual advisors getting commissions and kickbacks, which is a spectacular improvement for everybody, which makes yep. the, the risk of getting a bad advisor, frankly, just less risky. Now, their groups still get incentives and kickbacks and payments, and there's you know there's plenty going on, so it's not, not a clean area, better than it used to be, so that's, that's positive. Um, so look, because of all those things, first thing I would say is, to the extent you can afford it, this is the, the really, Matt, the hardest thing about financial advice is it's expensive to give. Like, mm. Let's call a spade a spade, right? Mm. If you think about think about managed funds, if you had to write a check for the month for the yearly fee to a managed fund, people would pull out tomorrow. Mm. But it goes goes unnoticed because they simply withdraw it from the fund balance. So you put mm. uh, let's call, let's call a hundred thousand dollars in. Uh, actually, let's call let's call three hundred thousand for fun. Three hundred thousand dollars in. Let's say the fund charges you one percent. That's three thousand dollars a year they are sucking out of your fund. Now, if you had to write a $3,000 check every year to that fund manager, you would maybe last six months, maybe a year, right? Like, I'm not paying <laughs> yeah, $3,000, so I'm out of here. But because they get to withdraw it from your money, we know here, temperament again, have I mentioned behavioral finance recently? Just once or twice. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, you know the reality is because you don't have to pay it up front, people are like, oh, fine, okay, whatever, it doesn't hurt, you don't feel it. It's like it's like paying up for the car. When someone says, "Hey, look, another 1500 bucks will, will, will you know fish oil your car." Oh, okay, I'm spending fifty grand. I guess it's okay. If a guy come up to you in the street and said, "Hey, just as you bought a new car, give me fifteen hundred bucks to fish oil," you'd be like, "Go away! I'm not spending fifteen hundred bucks." So it's all context, yeah. right? It matters a lot. And it's also it's also there's something very not in, well maybe it is intentional. There's there's something deceptive about quoting fees in terms of percentages. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Because you know when you hear, I mean, real estate agents are great at this as well, right? You know, it's like you know, we, we we take two percent of the the commission on your house. You think ah two two percent? That gets nothing. I get ninety eight percent. But when you convert that to dollar terms, it's like wait a sec. That's that is a lot of money. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I think the best advice is definitely shop around, definitely go speak to yeah. someone. But if they're giving you hyper specific kind of stuff where you need mm-hmm. to continually come back and they're pushing <laughs> specific stock ID, yeah. that's yeah. that's that's probably a bit of a red flag. You want the people mm-hmm. who who are thinking long term, who are thinking more the habitual kind of things that you yeah. need to do, the structural kind of things you need to do in terms of how you're managing your debt and your cash flow and your savings and yeah. all of that. They're, 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 that's where the real value is. And and once you've spoken to someone, they've given you some really good advice, that advice lasts a lifetime. And it's probably, frankly, it, you know, it's probably worth thousands of dollars, that advice, if, if, if it's good and you're going to follow it. Um, that's what I was going to say. But, so you want to, you, you want to, you know, my, my point was going to be, look, you're going to have to pay for it. And so I want people to know that up front rather than get put off by it. Someone says, hey, I'll do with your potential plan for you. It'll cost you 800 bucks or 1,000 bucks. It's simply mm-hmm. going to go, no, bugger off. I'll go to the guy down the road. He's not going to charge you anything. He's going to take it out of my fund. Well, guess what? He's going to take it out of your fund. You know, like it's, he's going to get money, more. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and frankly, and probably you don't know what the advice is. So the first thing I would say is go to a fee for service financial advisor who will charge you for the work that he or she does, but not. Um, not get any kickbacks, payments or anything else from anybody else, only from them. And do it for the fee upfront on an hourly basis rather than percentage of your assets, right? So go into some, mm. see someone and say, I want a financial plan done. I need some financial advice. I will pay you per the, for the hour. Give me a quote on what it's going to cost and then either pay it or don't. Uh, but don't don't get sucked into the percentage game. As you say, Ram, because it'll happen every single year. I've given the example before of my, my mother who, or my parents actually, when dad was still alive, they they were paying something like seven grand a year for a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar portfolio. It was and for years, for years and years. Um, and years. It's obscene. It's Mate, obscene. It makes me, it makes me grum- I mean, it's my own parents, but it makes me super grumpy. Like eventually, we pulled mum's money out of there when dad died, and we kind of, you know, stopped that feed gravy train. But it's, it's totally obscene. Seven grand yeah. a year for literally, a, you know, a meeting, a handshake, and thanks for coming. 
Um, yeah. Anyway, so so it's going to cost you money, but pay the fee. Go to a fee a fee for service financial advisor. Go and see two or three up front. Get a feel for them. Get a sense of what they want. You've you've heard our podcast, so hopefully you've got a little bit of enough knowledge to know what you're being told and whether that sounds reasonable and whether you think that person is someone who suits your personality, your needs, your expect your expectations. Um, so yeah, shop shop around. Go to some free consultations. Don't let them charge you for the first one. They won't give you the advice, of course, for nothing. That's fair. Um, but go and see them, speak to them, find one you like, and then pay them upfront to deliver you the financial advice. Suck up the cost. It hurts, uh, but it's better than it's, it's better to pay a small, a large amount upfront than an even larger amount in some sort of trailing annual fee for advice you may not love. So do that. All right, another one from another Scott. Hi, Scott and Rampage. Great to have Andrew mm. back on the pod. I fondly remember his intros and was a subscriber back in his dividend investor days. There you go. <laughs> Do either of you have any thoughts? Oh, to you, right up your alley, mate. On rent.com.au as an opportunity with exposure in the financial wellness, payments, and property sector. Not a lot of commentary around, even on Strawman, says Scott. I'm sure you'll fix that for us later, Ram. But uh, in the meantime, <laughs> in the meantime, have you looked at rent.com.au? No, I haven't looked at it closely. Um, it, look, it, it seem it strikes me as a a business that offers a really great solution. Um, so I, I really do get the value proposition here. It's it's focused, obviously, as the name says, on on the rental market. Yeah. It's allowing landlords to sort of manage things more directly. So speaking of fees, it probably helps you save a little bit in terms of paying a real estate <laughs> yeah. agent to do a lot of yeah. the rudimentary um, kind of stuff. Yeah, so it, right. it, it, right. it seems, and again, this is very high level. I haven't dug into this at all. It, it seems mm-hmm. like uh, an in- interesting business. And just having a very quick eyeball of their latest uh, update, you know, they seem mm-hmm. to be getting good traction on their new product. Things seem to be moving in the right direction. So that that's all, that's really interesting. Nice. Um, one one thing of word of caution is that these are, these are hard markets to crack into. They're one that very much depends on what we call a network effect. So it's scale. They're just incredibly good businesses. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's sort of renting goes there. Anyone who's got somewhere to rent goes there because that's that's where the market is. And they tend to be very <laughs> strong reinforcing yeah. kind of things. Yeah. So I, I and and unfortunately, subscale, they tend to be very ordinary businesses. Like they just burn cash for a long, long period of time and the, or the economics just aren't great until you sort of get uh, get past a bit of an inflection point. Um, do you remember, was it Purple Bricks? Um, yes, I do remember that. I'm not sure. I assume they're still around, but that was an, it was a similar idea and it basically allowed you to sort of sell your house directly again in a much more cheaper fashion than going through the traditional uh, real estate agent portal mm, mm, so the, and i look again without without me getting on my soapbox i soapbox i think it's actually a really it was a really great idea and you could get some really good outcomes with much lower fees but you know what it never took off yeah. um so even it had a great business model i thought it had a legitimate product uh, definite value to all of their users but for whatever reason um mm, and mm. There's, there's, there's probably a couple of reasons there when it comes to selling your biggest asset people just don't want to take the risk and you feel yeah. safer in going with a quote-unquote professional which is which probably the, <laughs> the nice. nub of hey, it hey, hey, be nice. um, um but <laughs> but uh yeah. it it, it yeah. wasn't it, it wouldn't have been a great investment and and this and i'm not saying this is going to go that way mm, but that's mm. for me if i was going to dig into this 
I think mm. I would really want to see some very good traction in terms of user uptake and growth and that they also yeah. importantly manage to achieve that growth with a good bit of cost discipline. There's plenty of early stage companies who actually do grow their top line, their sales very strongly, mm. but it's just that their costs grow each year in line with that. So, the, you know, it never really sort of hits its full economic potential because, you know, on a, on a profit line, there's just yeah. nothing that really emerges and there's lots of capital raisings and the rest of it. So mm-hmm. um, probably, yeah, definitely not the, the, the kind of detail and nuance you'd want from someone if you're going to make an investment based on that, but, but hopefully some <laughs> high-level thoughts that, that help. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Um, have you looked yeah, at it? Uh, look, I have a while ago when it first, well, especially when it first listed, it was actually reverse listed into an exploration company, believe it or not. So it's um, it's one of those businesses that you know wants a place on the market, maybe deserves a place on the market. But as you say, mate, this is one of those, I won't go on too long a tangent here, but when, we come, when it comes to growth companies, or even companies with big potential, that, that kind of just the raw, like, actually, really big market, right? The chance of it being successful is really low, but when it does, it does really, really well. Yeah. It's one of these companies where, um, almost like an explorer, right? It's, it's, all, it's trying to break into a market. And, you know, Airbnb broke into the accommodation market. Uber broke into the taxi market. These things are possible, but are they likely? Well, that's a whole different story, right? So... Uh, the the ironically it seems to be that for now at least the financial um, incentives and and frankly costs to use something like rent.com.au it's just not as attractive as if you're selling a house. If you're selling a house, you'll pay $1,000 for an ad because you have to and you can and you want to sell a million-dollar-plus property, you're going to spend whatever it costs to get it sold because the cost is a fraction. Speaking of percentages, costs are a fraction of the of the price of the, the asset, right? In the case of rent, well, the, the you know the agents are already using their own platforms, their own portals. The consumers are already in a certain place. The uh, rent rent rolls are collected and, and transacted basically in an, by a a party of the agent's own choice, where the agent is getting a, a nice little bit of money from the from the rent uh, manager for that purpose. Okay, and so it's kind okay. of it's kind of, it's kind of one of those things where the the market's kind of already built to suit the current. Um, incumbents, and it's really hard to see what rent's doing differently enough. Not, not that there's rationally. The company will be yelling right now, saying, "Look, all the things we do. This is this is why it's better and different." It's like, yeah, get it. But can you convince enough people to make that change? So it's kind of a network effect in reverse. They're going to have to win a whole lot of people over. Without a really, really, really clear incentive for enough people to do it strongly enough to make a big, big difference. Now, if it gets it, maybe it's the next domain, right? That's what they're hoping to be. Um, but the, it's just a really tough area to break into without sufficient financial incentives or size or kind of you know enough enough money at play frankly to make it worth anyone's while to do it and that's what's making it really really hard for it to break through yeah yeah my question from paul hi el presidente and ram thank you paul i enjoy you listening to the podcast for many years thank you mate as you put a call out for questions i thought i would ask one i have a share that is down 90 percent plus but i can't sell because it's worth less than 100 bucks. What should I do or how can I sell it to realize the loss to offset the gain I made for tax purposes? Regards, Paul. Oh, painful, mate. I, um, I've never lost that much on a single stock uh, as, as, that I own. I have got one, Icentia, uh, which we sold for more than a 90% loss at Share Advisor. So I honestly feel your pain, Paul. I'm sorry to hear it. Uh, Ram, what should he do to, uh, to get rid of this, these shares and get his capital loss? Um, well, I guess it, it, Paul's talking about a, a rule with his particular broker, which they just don't do 
transactions if it's less than that, which is which is a bit disappointing. Um, I guess you can all. It depends if your shares are chess sponsored or issuer sponsored. If they're issuer yeah. sponsored, uh, that is, you have a shareholder reference number, you would have got that in the mail. You can you can actually sell it through another broker, and I'm sure there'll yeah. be others out there that'll happily take the transaction. Um, uh, maybe worth even just calling to see if they can make an exception because. On one hand, you're going to think, well, it's less than a hundred bucks. You just you just write it off. But as Paul yep. rightly says, you know there is there is a tax loss there that he, that totally. he can use elsewhere, yeah, and, he, exactly. and he wants he, he wants, wants to sort of right. at least get that benefit. So I I would yeah. I would not accept what your broker is saying. Um, and yeah. if you are chess sponsored and they still won't do it, well, you can you can still go to another broker and, and transfer it across. Um, bit of a, a bit of a hassle, bit of a pain, but yeah, hey, if if they're not going to do it, then take your business elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. That you can absolutely. Um, mo- most brokers, if you call them, will actually make make, make the sale for you. And often brokerage free, just because to help you out. They've got discretion to do that sort of stuff. So absolutely, start there. You can, in some circumstances, also gift your shares. So whether you want to or not, it's up to you. But you can dispose of them. The share gift is an organisation that works with some brokers. Oh, yeah. You can actually yeah. gift those shares. That that's a sale for the purposes of tax. So not only do you get the deduction. Uh, for the capital loss, which is unfortunate, you also hey, well, you can help out someone. You might, now you may not want to. You might want your hundred bucks, right? So I'm not saying you should do this necessarily, but if you're happy to, you know, give away 50, 80, 70 bucks worth of shares, um, you get a tax deduction for the donation, of course, and you get to recognise the capital loss. Um, mm. As I said, after that, after that loss, you may just want some money back to salvage some pride, which is fair. Um, but if you if you don't, that's another way you can do it. But otherwise, calling your broker should do the job. Yeah, that's a good that's a good alternative, mate. I forgot about that one. I really like like that option. Now, here's one from Lucas. So I like Lucas a lot, Ram. Can I, can I just say up front, Lucas is not a relation, but I like him a lot. Lucas says, hi, Scott. Question for the pod. I've been listening since about August last year and have since invested a decent amount. I really enjoy every week's podcast and learn a great deal. Don't worry, he says. You're still a handsome bloke. Lucas, you are. I don't have, I don't have favorite listeners, Lucas, but you are my favorite listener. All, all I'm saying. If the rest of you bastards would be kind enough to actually be properly polite and kind and thoughtful and, and frankly, as, as, as objectively honest... As Lucas, I think the world would be a better place, is all I'm saying. So, you know, you don't, you don't have to, but Lucas yeah, wants yeah, to see yeah. something the rest of you people. All right, I'll move on. Um, <laughs> he then says, Andrew, he didn't make this one up. Lol. I'm wondering what, what a cheap but great way to keep on top of all the accounting of dividends, gains, losses without much work, as it's going to be my first year of taxation as an investor. As some companies pay fully franked, partially franked, and no franking, how do we make it easy for the accountant at the end of the year? especially when we're meant to hold a dozen plus companies for diversification. Full on from Lucas. Well, Lucas is very, very smart, very capable, very funny, very insightful, very thoughtful. I, I, can't, I can't speak highly enough of Lucas, Ram, is all I'm saying. Uh, but, so hopefully, hopefully we can help him out. Uh, what, what do you reckon, mate? We, there are some expensive options, but he's a new young investor. He probably doesn't want to pay a lot of money. How would you go about it if you were on a shoestring? Um, well, if I was on a shoestring and what I did for a long time, I just had a spreadsheet that I just updated with okay. all of my trades. <laughs> you, know, you know, name, date, value. You just It's a bit of a hassle and you fill it all in and then mm-hmm. uh, you know, you'll be able to work out at the end of year what it is if you're doing your tax yourself or if not, you can give it to your accountant and that, that gives them all the info mm-hmm. they need to, to properly yeah. account for it. Yeah. Um, I want to give a plug here and I should say we do have a commercial relationship with these guys. So take, take that for what it's worth. But um, I do recommend ShareSight to, uh, to our members. It's, it's basically what you do is you connect it to your brokerage account. So it's kind of like zero except for shares. And mm. it just, it, it helps you really track your portfolio and your performance. But at the end of the year, you just press a button and it produces all your capital gains and income reports. Mm-hmm. It's just super easy. 
Um, and if you go to our blog, so strawman.com slash blog, you'll see the second link there is is for a, a promotion for ShareSite. They get the first four months free if you sign up through us. Helps us out a little bit too, but um, uh, yeah, I, I would I would check that out. But honestly, you, you can entirely do this yourself. It's just a question of how much work you want to do. If you're the kind of person who mm-hmm. trades 10 times a day, I would definitely recommend something like ShareSite because it's just you're just going to drive you mad. But if you're like most people and you're only buying a few things throughout the year, it's not that hard and you can easily do it yourself. Nice one. Um, mate, I'll, I'll, I want half of that endorsement check, by the way. <laughs> um, I, we'll, we'll talk after the we'll talk after the recording. Look, yeah. So um, actually, I, I use and like ShareSite as well. I like the company. I like the people. I'm a, I'm a user. Just I have no commercial relationship at all, uh, but also still like it and recommend it. So yeah, it, it is really good. It's not it's not cheap though. If you're a new investor, young investor, you're getting started. It's not that complex. Uh, you may not want to shell out for the money. I wouldn't blame you. I don't think ShareSite would blame you either. They also do have a. Did you say they have a? Did you mention they have a free? Um, yeah, you can. You can, you can I, yeah, I think that you you can do it for free if you've got less than ten stocks in your portfolio yeah. or something so like it's, that. It's a way so, to get. You can, you can kind of trial it out. Um, yeah. Honestly, the the the, the, the Excel spreadsheet is not a hard one, particularly in the in the short term, right? Um, mm. If you just record your your dividends as you get them, um, you can the, the data is all on the dividend statements you'll receive from the brokerage or the, the registrar. Sorry, so it'll have cash, dividend, franking, credits, all that stuff. You just literally put it in two columns or three columns. Um, put the date, uh, the dollars in dividends, the dollars in franking. Roll it down the roll it down the slide, and you've got you've got a total. You can get reports from the registry itself, which has a lot of information on it, of course. Um, but you know, to, to the extent you're, you've got a smaller ish number, even if you've got a dozen shares, they pay dividends twice a year, and if you're not selling then you've only got 24 transactions to, to highlight. It's really not that difficult. So I know it can feel a bit overwhelming at first, but if you start, literally grab yourself a spreadsheet, call it My Dividends, <laughs> and then just whack your, whack your dividends in. Um, also somewhere else, grab another one, call it My Share Purchases or My Share Purchases and Sales. I put the date you bought, uh, put the price you paid, number of shares, and then if and when you sell them, you put that somewhere else, uh, and then you've got a running tally. It, it, once, once you've got a lot of it, it does get more complex, and I would also recommend ShareSite, but without Ram's money, although, again, I'm going to talk to him after the episode. Um, but uh, <laughs> but gen- just generally speaking, I think it's a, it's a very worthwhile um, option. But in, in the short term, honestly, an Excel spreadsheet, or you know what, if you don't have Excel, Grab a Google sheet. Um, I'm a Google shareholder for the record. Not that's got anything to do with it. Um, but you know, like if you don't, if you don't want to pay for Excel, if you don't have it at home, for example, some people don't have an Office subscription. Google Sheets is free. Grab a Google sheet. Do the same thing. Super, super easy. So hopefully that helps. Value stocks, market, stock market, index, share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. One from Rodney, mate, and I like this one from Rodney's. Rodney's keep tabs on you, mate. The internet remembers. Rodney says, "Hi, Scott and Sage oh, no. underscore Simeon." He's referring to you by your Twitter handle, which is kind of weird. I have a That's question cool. regarding Nanasonics. When Andrew was on the f- podcast the first time around, back in the deep dark ages, I t- t- still didn't have hair then, but it was a while ago. I remember him saying he thought Nanasonics was cheap at around two bucks. Now at approximately five dollars thirty, does Andrew still think Nanasonics is good value? And he says. Is I don't know. I'm going to assume this is a genuine question, not a not a not one of those passive aggressive ones. He says, "Is he able to explain how he has come to his valuation?" <laughs> Thanks uh-huh. and fool on from Rodney. So Rodney's either trying to give a, give you a hard time or genuinely curious. Um, do you still like Nanosonics at five dollars thirty? Mate, anyone is welcome at any stage to bring up a stock that I've done well on because I will <laughs> happily oh, talk God, about. <laughs> 
Um, I actually first bought it in 2014. So here's a lesson in the value of, of long-term holding. Um, yeah. And I've bought and sold a little bit along the way, just managing my position. But um, yeah, first got it at 92 cents. So it's been very nice. About 46% mm-hmm. compound, according to ShareSight, over the, over the last six, seven years. That's, that's very mm-hmm. nice. Um, but but I was able to, I'm getting better at this, to overcome some of those anchoring biases. So when, yeah. when Strawman launched, I actually put it on my uh, portfolio there too, obviously at a much higher price, but then that's done really well mm-hmm. for me too. And it's come back as it always does for me with trying just to compare what Mr. Market is offering me versus what I think it's worth. Mm-hmm. And it's a question that always comes up. It's like, well, what do you, people always want to know, what are you buying? Why are you buying it? And what do you think it's worth? And to answer two questions in a row with a shameless plug, yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's well, kind welcome of the straw man show where Andrew gets to plug his own stuff and get paid well, for doing it. Jeez, it's, no. serend- it's serendipity, <laughs> but it's I mean that's, it's it's kind of the exact point of straw man. So rather than ask the mm. question, all you need to do is go to straw man. <laughs> I'm 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 straw man. That's my username. So you go strawman.com forward slash straw man. You'll mm. see what I'm holding. You'll see that Nanasonics mm. is in there you'll see a 15% compound return over the last uh, three years, which is nice. Um, But click on that. You'll be taken to my report. You'll see I've got a valuation that I last edited four months ago at $6.15. And then there's a little bit of a description as to why I think it's worth that amount. So it's it's that's that's the easiest way of answering that. Um, All right, I'm just I'm just going through the next question to make sure there's no obvious opportunity for a plug. I think I think it's okay so far. I think it's okay so far. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah, good I mean, that's, I mean, it, it is it is it is kind of. I think that I think it's it's nice because it just sort of basically says, well, if you want to know that yeah. stuff, will go there. That's no, the point sure. of it. But but also too, and a little bit of a segue. I always think outside of Nanasonics or Strawman or whatever you're doing. Just that act of of writing it down. Why do mm-hmm. I like this? What do I think it's yeah. worth? Why is this the better, best opportunity? That is that is such an immense, uh, immensely worthwhile exercise to do. So, and if you can't do that, if you sort of sit down and figure, and as you start writing, thinking, actually, I, I'm struggling to, to justify this. That alone is a very valuable signal as well. So yeah. um, that's the process I do. That's what Strawman's all about. But do it do it for yourself either way, because you'll you'll be a better investor because of it. But yeah. For what it's worth, I think it's I think it's still reasonable value. Man, I'm going to ask you a a slightly pointed question, but a genuine one um, on the back of that thought. And yep. it just occurs to me that I am I am in complete agreement with you about keeping a journal and explaining your recommendation or your thoughts, your buys, your whatever's depending how you do it. Do your diary? We do it at the Motley Fool. Every recommendation has one. You've done it on Strawman. So the, you know, I agree with you that it works. I'm curious as to whether how you feel, how you think. Let me let me phrase this well. So my, 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 I'll, I'll make it a statement. You can respond to it as a question. Okay. My first thought when you were saying that was, you talk about the you know the value of kind of just that benign neglect, right? Just kind of hanging on, letting letting time do its thing, not getting too involved. Mm. If you were forced to go back and re-justify a valuation every three or six months, mm. do you think it might have made you more likely to sell that because at some point you got a point like, oh, I can't possibly keep holding now. I, um, think about Amazon for myself, for example. Of like, if I had, if I had to put pen to paper. For our members at Motley Fool, for example, Amazon's a recommendation mm-hmm. of our US scorecard for share advisor. I own it personally. If I did every six months go back and say, okay, now I think it's worth X. Now I mm-hmm. think it's worth Y. Now I think it's worth Z or Z, being an American stock. Um, 
I'm, I wonder whether that process would have ended up talking me out of doing it. Do you, do you have a, a, a thought or, or a way to avoid that or just kind of, you know, do you, do you think it's a risk? How do you, how do you feel? And I, again, not, not bagging straw man at all. I think, I think it's a great platform. I'm just curious as to how you might get around yeah. that idea of the benign neglect almost goes away if you kind of keep going back and updating things. Does, yeah. does it make it more risky, less risky? Does it kind of focus the mind? Does it run the risk of making you more or less likely or more or less locked in because you're, you're justifying it over and over again? How do you, how do you kind of feel about that part yeah it, it comes down to how honest you are with with yourself but nanosonics is a good example if you go to my report on that you'll actually see that just in the last year mm. i've actually mm. changed my valuation three times okay um uh and there is there is the chance of trying to be too clever by half and trying to just constantly mm. judge mm. this thing but the, the reality is is that two one of two in fact one or two things will happen one is that new information will come to light. So I've thought that Nanasonics mm-hmm. was worth X because I felt as though it was capable of doing, you know, whatever. Um, and then they've, we've had a few more company updates. We've had some results. Maybe they've made an announcement. They're issuing some new products yeah, or right. something like yeah. that. And, and then you think, well, actually, I, I was wrong. Or sometimes, or not yeah. wrong, but, you know, maybe I need to update my thinking. Maybe mm-hmm. I was either a bit too ambitious or maybe maybe I wasn't ambitious enough and I'll, and I'll change it. Um, yeah. But so I, so I think it is worth keeping your finger on the pulse because things do change and, and, and the best expectations mm. don't mm. always come, come to pass. Even that the interesting thing is, and this is the hard one, is that even mm. when the news doesn't change and maybe you do get a few company updates, but it's not, you know, the same expectations, nothing's really changed. Your interpretation of the facts can change. I mean, as you just get a bit more experience, as you mature, as as... Uh, perhaps other people have offered you new perspectives. You, you can actually come up with a new valuation without any new information. Mm, mm. Um, maybe I just don't want to put as high a multiple on things, or maybe I feel as though a different discount rate is. So it's a very, it's a very um, uh, slippery kind of slope that you can get on. But I, I just think, I just think there's value in always thinking about that. And, and yeah, when yeah, I do do yeah, valuations. Yeah. I'm always I always try to avoid the hyper specificity that I think plagues mm, a lot mm. a lot of investors where they've yeah. they've mapped out forecast uh, income statements for the next ten years and mm, you know mm. it's, it's just so down the rabbit hole but it's just I have to then have forecasts for twenty different variables and it's just it's so hard so it, for me so particularly a growth stock like Nanasonics I'm really sort of saying listen I think. They should be able to grow their their top line by you know fifteen twenty percent per year. It's of a flavor. It's not of a hyper specific thing. Or you know, in six months they'll be earning this. In twelve months they'll be earning that. Yeah, and right. so when you get the inevitable wobbles in there, it's not like you you you're looking for something where it's just like this. This was fundamentally flawed, rather than I was a little bit out in in my expectation. So if, if mm-hmm. five years time we look back and this thing has grown at. 14.8% and maybe my my forecast initially was something at at, at 17%. You know that actually makes a bit of a difference, but it's not mm-hmm. it's it's not a mile away and it's not like I'm going to if I if my valuation is wrong it's not going to be massively wrong. So keep it better to be generally right than specifically wrong. Yeah, I like that. I think that's I think it's a really good way to put it. Very nice. I think anyway, I just appreciate you going that much to ask because it occurred to me. Here's good one question. from Jeff. Hey, Scott and Andrew. I'm a long-term Fool member both here and in the US. In fact, I joined the Motley Fool because of... A- oh, Andrew. Jeez. Jeff, <laughs> help me out here, dude. Listen. Yeah, anyway. I joined the Motley Fool because of Andrew. I've listened to his foolish wisdom on the Sky Business Channel. It's good to hear uh, him again on the podcast. The I agree, Jeff. Yeah. I retired in March, says Jeff, after getting an offer on my business that I wasn't expecting. 
Good man. It wasn't a huge amount, but it gave me a cash buffer I needed. And thanks to The Motley Fool, my investments allowed me to retire just before my 60th birthday. There you go, mate. Awesome. Because of the unexpected offer and the quickness of the sale, I never thought how I would access my super. I'm now taking it as an account-based pension quarterly at the moment. They say when you invest an amount of money, your returns are better if you invest it all at once instead of dollar cost averaging. But what about when you are withdrawing funds from super? I assume it would be the reverse and it would be better to take a fortnightly pension rather than taking a single annual lump sum to allow your remaining super to compound. Does that make sense? Assuming you are not you are using the money to live on and not reinvesting it outside super. Thanks, Jeff. Um, I love this. He, he says, he says um, mm. P.S., sorry for the rambling. Please edit how you want. But I did want you to, to show you both, the, uh, sorry, to show the both of you and CMFUS my appreciation for allowing me to be financially free and to be able to retire early. I started investing 11 years ago and I didn't think it would be possible, but thanks to the Motley Fool, here I am. It shows it's never too late to start investing as long as you have the right guidance. Thanks, Jeff. That's, that's, that's really cool. Mm. And well done, mate. Thank you for uh, bringing him to, to the Motley Fool all those years ago. Um, good question, right? So generally speaking, I've been a fan of the market tends to go up. So if I had a lump sum, I would put it all in up front because that's just rationally what I think is, is best. I have said similarly, though, that many people prefer to do it slowly because they just the psychological benefit of that is, is easier. If the market goes up, quickly you've already got something you at least make money if the market falls at least you've got some outside to put in so you kind of you know psychologically some people benefit more from putting it in slowly uh but as, as i said before rationally i think it makes more sense to put it in quickly jeff's asking the reverse question he's taking some money out of super he's saying well how do i take it out what's the what's the best advice for taking money out of super what do you reckon mate yeah i would say that if you if you don't have any need for a big whack of capital, um, then just keep it there, right? There's, there's, there's big tax advantages to doing it. It's going to pay you a little bit of a, a, an income to live off. Um, and if that's all you need, then that, that's probably the best bet. But it, it I mean, it, again, as always, it depends. If you do need a lump sum of cash because there's something that you want to buy or do, then that then that's a different story. So it's, it is a bit of a personal one. But assuming that you're more than comfortable with what it's paying you, and you have you're retired, you've got you've got an income coming in. You've, mm. You do, you know, it's what a great scenario to be. You know, the yeah. still very young, tender age of of sixty decades of life ahead of you, and you don't have to work anymore. <laughs> and and <laughs> that's it. That's the goal. Yeah, you know, yeah. job done. Um, I I would be tempted to to continue it to leave it there. It also depends, of course, what what that super is invested in yeah, having a bit more time now at, uh, at your disposal not having to run a business um I, i'd probably spend uh, a bit of time having a look at, at how it is invested and, and maybe thinking how how you could improve that again not trying to be too clever and not certainly not suggesting mm-hmm. you start day trading or anything like that but uh yeah have, have, have a look at that leave it in that structure you'll get some real advantages with that and yeah, mm-hmm. gives you a bit of a hobby for your retirement years too <laughs> no that's why i like it um, yeah, look, I so I, I'm not going to. So this, this is a plug show. All of a sudden, I don't mean I'm not going to plug the service, but I'll mention it. Uh, Motley for Everlasting Income is a service that we run specifically for that purpose, Jeff. Um, and, and I'm not saying you should join it necessarily if it doesn't work for you, but I'll, I'll use it to explain what we do. So effectively, we have built a portfolio which is designed to generate income, and we have uh, what we don't. Well, we actually do literally have a cash account in for the Motley Fool. We cover it. We follow it with our own money. We put a million dollars of the Motley Fool's money into it in 2017. And every month we take out a, a, an amount of money as a as a what we call a paycheck, right? So it's a mimic getting paid every month. Do it every fortnight; it'd be the same thing. You just change the amount of money. Um, but we basically have dividends go into the account regularly. 
and then the money coming out of the account monthly to basically mimic exactly that, to, to living off that money. And so depending on how your portfolio is structured, what stocks you've got, how much income they generate, how much you need the cash, um, generally I would actually go with something like that sort of approach. We carry about 4% of the portfolio's value in cash just to allow for the ups and downs of dividends. So when the dividends all come in, that goes up to 5 or 6%. As the dividends flow out, that might drop to 25 or 3%. Um, and then it goes back up and, and, and so on and so forth. And we kind of use that to, to allow for that process to happen. And it's, it's worked pretty well for us thus far. Um, the results have been pretty good. But again, whether or not that's, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to sell. I'm just here to say that that has how we've structured that for exactly that purpose, right? You don't have to take money out when the dividends are paid or, or guess how much is going to be paid. You use that cash balance, that cash account to actually do the work for you. And it seems to work pretty well thus far. So I, I would do something like that. The challenge you've got, because you, you've got a twofold challenge, right? Because the first is you've got to sell down some shares and then you've got to take out the cash. And are you selling every fortnight to take the cash out, every month to take the cash out? Are you selling semi-regularly or are you living on the dividends? It's a, it's a much bigger question than kind of, you know, how do you do it? Maybe you've just got a, a, an industry or retail super fund where you just tell them to send you some cash every month or fortnight and they do it for you and that's a different question again. Um, so it depends on how, kind of what structure you're using to manage your investments. Generally speaking, I just take the money out. I would, I would probably plan to, to Ram's point, A, you want to invest well. And then just plan how much you want to receive every month or fortnight and then just have it done as a as a quasi-paycheck, right? You, you're a small business owner, so you're probably not used to being paid regularly. Um, but I, I divide it up. So, right, you know, what, what do I think I'm going to earn from this portfolio? How much do I need in cash? When do I need it? And if it's, okay, I'm going to pay myself X dollars a fortnight, just have an automatic transaction that goes through every fortnight, dumps money in your transaction account for yourself, your personal account, and that way you're getting the money you need. Now, of course, just quickly, the other thing to think about is making sure you meet the requirements of the allocated pension, so there are some requirements of how much you must take out. So, of course, be mindful of that. But, but short of that, um, that's how I'd think about doing something like like that sort of approach. Does that make sense, Ram? Nice. Yep, definitely. No argument there. Now, speaking of people who are nice to you, I don't know, I don't know why I didn't vet these better. Um, we got a question. A, a regular correspondent who I don't think has asked a question or sent us an email uh, since since you've resumed us, uh, rejoined us, Little Miss Harry Legs, a regular correspondent, uh, and she sent us a, a message. She says, hi, Scott. I hear you need questions. Here's one for Andrew, because oh, no. I went to strawman.com and it's free membership. She says, which means I'm the product, right? I like that. <laughs> and I can't see any advertising. So how does he make money? Hashtag help Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> She's worried about you, mate. Little Miss Harry Legs is saying, Andrew, I'm, I'm worried about it. I'm going there, I'm using his product. I'm, I'm kind of happy, but he's not charging me for it. I'm, how does he make his money? Do you, do you care to comment or is that in the uh, in the annals of small business uh, secret sauce and we'll talk about it no, later? No, it's, it's a really legitimate question. I love that saying, by the way. I forget who, maybe it was Bezos or someone who said, you know, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product, uh-huh. which is so that. true, right? Like everyone goes, you know, Facebook is free. And like, uh-uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's the same yeah. in, in the like free-to-air TV. Yeah. It's free-to-air yeah, because, right. you know, it's, it's being supported by a different model. <laughs> So yeah, people exactly. obviously ask all the time. It's because there's no advertising on Strawman. We, as, as I mentioned before, we've got like a couple of referral arrangements mm-hmm. um, that we're like with ShareSite. We say, hey, if you like them, you'll oh, get a God, discount. And we, you know, Unbelievable. I, I got to tell you, you know, we, we bleed cash. <laughs> we don't make any money <laughs> at all. Legs, that's the answer. Yeah. So it's, it's, hard, it's, hard to call, it's hard to call Strawman a business. <laughs> now that, that's obviously not viable long term. Um, yeah. And in fact, there's something that's really exciting that's just on the horizon. Oh, that we've been putting okay, a lot of, okay. of, of work in, but okay. it's actually it's actually a, a, a question that has really forced us to think long and hard on exactly what yeah, we're okay. trying to build here. And oh, we actually we actually get a lot of offers from 
investor relations people and, and stuff. So the, the, what everyone in the market wants is access to new investors so they can flog them a bunch of stuff. So <laughs> on one hand, it's very tempting to say, yes, I'll take that money. And then I'm just going to like ram a bunch of, <laughs> uh, you know, emails down yeah, people's yeah. throats and really annoy them. I just, I just don't want to do that. So we've had to think yeah. about a model that allows us to be viable but doesn't do that. And yeah. and the one that we've come up with, I think it's really nice because it aligns our interests with our members. But I don't want to give away too much away. All I'll say is it, oh, it won't be. It, okay. Put it this way. Strawman will always <laughs> be free. So we're always, we're always going to have a free offering there. So you can go on, play around with the sample portfolio, see a lot of great content. But we are, we are going to have a, an additional layer on top of that. And yeah, watch this space. It should hopefully be out in the next couple months. Oh, there you go. All right, you heard it here first. Thank you, Little Miss Hairy Legs. I, I, we, we, I'm not sure we'll go with the, help, the hashtag help Andrew for too long, but uh, thus far, that's what we're using, help Andrew. So thank you, <laughs> no, thank help you Andrew. for the question. <laughs> I don't mean I'm not going to help you. I'm just mean there's, there's going to be better hashtags, that's all. <laughs> all right. He's not, he's, you're not doing a GoFundMe campaign yet. That's the positive, right? <laughs> not yet. No, you're not, not, yet. You're not at that stage of the business, so we're okay. At that oh, point, no. we'll re- reactivate the hashtag, but until then, we're all good. <laughs> exactly. All right, here's one for Stephen. Um, hi Scott thank you to you and Andrew uh, for always taking the time to do the podcast it's a great listen and the only podcast I listen to that's a big rap alright Steve I'm in my late 30s and I've always loved gambling especially in the early years then I realised what it was all about losing (laughs) he says from cane toads in Fiji to crabs in Queensland I've backed them all my question is my question is how do I not invest in every idea I hear about and just sit back for five to ten years and see what happens. Or how do I know which ones to select from the 25 companies that I'm watching? I currently have 40 grand in 11 companies at the moment. I wish when I was 20, I knew how easy it would be to get into investing. I would be so much further financially. As with investing, you can sit the lows out. He is mm. dead right, Ram. It's a great question and great comment. It's... um. You know what? Good thing is, Stephen, mate, you're in your late 30s. You've got plenty of time left. You've got probably 30-odd years to retirement and then... Good Lord willing, the creeks don't rise and are 30 years of life in retirement. So you've still got a 60-year investing career ahead of you. Um, so, mate, yes, we all wish we started earlier. Warren Buffett says his biggest mistake was starting at 11, not earlier, uh, which is a nice <laughs> problem to have. Yeah. But uh, the point is valid. We always wish we'd started earlier. But as the, you know, it's the old thing, the best time, to, the second best time to plan a, sorry, the best time to plan a tree was yesterday, second best time is today. So um, yep. let, let's, let's move forward from here. It's a good question, mate. It's, it's tempting, and particularly with Stephen's background, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that, without casting aspersions, these you know, tempted by the next big thing, the kind of, you know, the tip from the mate, the, you know, the equivalent of the, the stock market mud crab or cane toad, um, you know, might possibly win the race. Uh, what if I miss on the next one? The, the, the whole, you know, the FOMO, the FOMO thing is so real for so many people. How do you avoid FOMO? How do you find the company's worth owning? Yeah, I, I think, so here's a hard reality of it. I think everyone in the finance industry is out there trying to tell you how easy it is. Oh, it's yeah. so, yes, is there value to long-term investing? Oh, it's so easy. Buy our charting <laughs> package or buy our this and, and you're going to make a million dollars. And, you know, it's sort of the reality It's only, it's only is, easy when they're selling you something, right? It's it's not easy. If it was easy, we'd all be Warren Buffett. You know, it's exactly. it's hard. It, it's like if you want to be really great at playing the piano or tap dancing mm. or tennis mm. or golf or whatever it happens to be, it's <laughs> it's if you want to be good at something, it requires yeah, yeah. a lot of work. 
Um, I would argue that, that that effort is very much worthwhile because one, I just, I'm the kind of person who enjoys it, enjoys the mm. process. So even mm. if I had a billion dollars, I'd probably have a portfolio that I'd manage just, um, uh, just for fun. Um, so yes, it's, it, it's, it's yeah. very, it's very much, uh, it's fun, but it's, it's just, it's so much worthwhile doing it. You only need to get yeah. a few big ideas kind of right over your career. And it's mm. just, it's mm. so life changing. As long as you can get rid of that get rich quick mentality and focus mm. on that, that building of wealth, that idea of just always building, build, 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 whether you're 50, 40, 70, you know, you're always just adding to this, this compounding machine. It's just such a beautiful little thing to, to, mm-hmm. to know. And so take it seriously, put in the work, know what you own, know why you own it and, and always be learning. And, and I I think that that'd be the best way to, to do it. If you can't, as we said before, if you can't, write down on half a piece, half a page of paper what it is you're buying, why you're buying it, why you think it's good value. Well, that's, a, that's an instant pass, even if it turns yeah. out to be great. You shouldn't invest in those kinds of companies and keep yeah, going okay. until you've got a list of, of stocks that, that you can. The, and, and, and I get in saying that for a whole bunch of people who aren't as nerdish as, as you or I, um, <laughs> that that sounds like really boring, uh, hard work. And, mm. and that's, I totally get that, which, yeah. which, in which case, it's really easy. He says, how do I not invest in every idea? I'd flip it around and say, why wouldn't you invest in every idea, but do it through a broad-based ETF, which gives you exposure to the market. The only way you can lose is if society collapses. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of like, a, I, they're the two extremes. There's no halfway for, or not much really of a, of a halfway. You either, you either take the, the passive approach and you'll do very, very well over the long term, or you take it very seriously and you get into it. And although it's a bit of work, you'll probably do even better if you're smart about it. So um, yeah, just, just, just go beyond the initial idea. Because take it from me, I get every other, every other day I get someone telling me this, this great idea that's going to be the next 10 bagger. <laughs> Maybe it is, but your job as an investor is actually to say no. Um, we've yep. got this luxury of choice. There's thousands of, literally thousands of companies yep, yep, out yep. there. You have to be saying no, 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 no all the time. And it's only when you find it very hard to say no because it's so compelling. You've got so much conviction. You've got so much, uh, you've done so much work to really understand the business. That's when you think, okay, now I've got something that I can sensibly invest in. And that's the way to go. I like it. I'm going to go the other, completely the other way, mate. <laughs> I'm okay. Gonna, I'm going to, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I think you're absolutely right, but I don't agree with any of it, except I'm going to pr- just present an alternative option. Because I'm going to, again, unsurprisingly, as I do almost every weekend these days, um, every week, yeah, every weekend, uh, go into the, uh, the the psychological part of behavioral finance, the, the reality of what's going on. If you are, Stephen, someone who just can't resist the urge of the punt, um, the other option you got is to do completely opposite of what Ram said and go straight to an ETF, an exchange-traded fund. It is boring as buggery. It is not very exciting. You're not going to make a fortune. You're not going to back the next thing. But if you make yourself do it and make that your investing, you just simply take the whole question out of the out of the equation, right? The old, you know, do, do I do I take the do I walk past the TAB with a hundred bucks in my hand and duck in and maybe put you know put put a, a, a ten or twenty bucks on a couple of the next at Randwick? Well, you could and maybe you make some money. Maybe you don't. If you can't if you can't walk past and put that money straight in the bank, avoid the whole thing altogether by simply getting a transfer from the bank account into an ETF or a managed fund or, or get a broker to automate transaction or make purchase for you and just literally systematize the whole thing. You know, Andrew and I both pick mm. stocks for a living. We both think it's possible to beat the market. So those things are really, really possible and um, very much worth doing. 
but if you're not someone who feels like that can be done successfully for you, and plenty of people can't, right? Just it's not it's not a, it's not a criticism, it's not a judgment, it's not anything other than, as you said in a previous question, Ram, know thyself. Um, if you're not someone who can do that well, or you're not worried you mightn't do it well, or you just want to save yourself from yourself, some people need that discipline. Um, and it's not just this, by the way. It's not just the, the gambling temptation; it's the budgeting temptation. That's why we say to people, mm. pay yourself first. Don't wait and see what's left at the end of the month to put some money away. Pay yourself on payday. Put some money away then so you're not tempted to just wait and see what's left. You actually take the money out in front. These, these, they, they call them pre-commitment devices, right, in the, in the literature. And the idea basically mm. is exactly that. You just pre-commit to it. So you don't have to think about it. You don't have to worry about it. You know, by all means, go and find the best stocks you can. But the alternative is to do the exact opposite and say, you know what, individual stock pick is not for me. I, I like business. I like listening to the podcast. Love the idea. But you know what? If you only, in air quotes, only, and you can hear my my, my laughter, if you can only get 9 or 10% a year in an ETF for the next 45, 60 years, you will be spectacularly rich. So if you can put a decent amount of money away, of course, but the compounding value of that, if you can regularly put some money aside, that'll well and truly cover you for anything you need and you could possibly need. And so if, it's not, if picking stocks is not for you, if you can't follow Ram's advice, and if you can, you should, but if you can't follow that advice, um, then you can walk it back and just simply go to the ETF option and go from there. Is that fair? Yep. Yep. Hey, a double from Patrick, mate, to finish us off. Um, I, I'm not sure whether uh, I'll... Uh, here we go. I'll, I'll give you his, his recommendation first, his advice first. Okay. He says, uh, something for straw man and the podcast is another way to introduce straw man simply to call it fantasy stock picking like fantasy football with details of the process, the individual stock trades and prices included. So there you go, mate. There's a free one for the next time we record a podcast. It's like fantasy football but for stocks. I can't believe I haven't used that one already. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. There you go, Patrick. You can, you, I, mate. All I, look, I don't, I don't want to tell you what you should do, Patrick. All I'm saying is, if you use your advice, you probably should send him an invoice. It's all I'm saying. It's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right. He, he does have a, he does have a question. He says, "Hi, Scott and Andrew. I've been enjoying each episode since the beginning of the year, and recently realised one of the best things about it is helping one reflect on one's investment decisions." including the mindset or psychological processes one goes through when investing. I really appreciate this emotional or psychological part of your advice as well as the intellectual side. I have a simple question. I can't find an ASX-listed New York Stock Exchange ETF. Am I missing something? There's ETFs for almost everything, including big ones such as the NASDAQ, uh, World League companies, etc., but nothing specifically for the New York Stock Exchange. Grateful if you could enlighten me about this in seeming anomaly or if I've un- misunderstood something. Thanks, Patrick. I'd never thought about this question, mate, but he's right, isn't he? I'm pretty sure there isn't a New York Stock Exchange ETF. Yeah, I'm, yeah, although I guess if you go for the S&P 500 or one of those broad-based ones, you're pretty much getting everything on the New York, or, you know, all the, all the main ones on the New York Stock Exchange. You can't, well, you're getting, that's the thing, you're getting New York plus NASDAQ, right? So they pick, the S&P right. 500 is, is exchange agnostic. Whereas the NASDAQ index is just about the NASDAQ itself. Yeah, I think that's true, his point. True. There's no, you can get the NASDAQ, you, you get one exchange being the NASDAQ, but you can't get a, an exchange base for the New York Stock Exchange. Patrick, you're absolutely right. I would say, for what it's worth, um, I don't think, well, each to their own, I wouldn't be looking for just a New York Stock Exchange ETF. I don't know that doing so, unless you wanted to pair it with a NASDAQ ETF, for example, and get kind of both US exchanges, which you could do. Um, I don't know that you need to or necessarily, well, I'll speak for myself, I wouldn't necessarily want to. I wouldn't choose an, uh, an ETF that specifically excluded NASDAQ or specifically wanted only the NYSE. Simple example, 
Uh, I like Amazon, for example. It's on the NASDAQ. I like Berkshire Hathaway. I own them both. It's on the New York Stock Exchange. I don't want an ETF that has one, not the other. Now, they're very, very different businesses. And if you said, look, I don't want any tech stocks at all. I just want New York Stock Exchange. I, I guess that's fair enough. Um, same as people do in the reverse. I guess they buy the NASDAQ because they want that those stocks. But yeah, no, there, is, there isn't one. And largely because... I think the way it was born, the S&P 500 was always the premier index. And when there was no NASDAQ, or even when the NASDAQ was small, because the S&P 500 originally was born on just the New York Stock Exchange, because that's all there was, it effectively was that. But as the NASDAQ was added, the S&P got bigger and broader, and there was no real need to replace it. The NASDAQ Exchange ETF was born largely because people wanted access to these new up-and-coming companies in a way that made the whole idea much more attractive. Um, uh, in the US, there may well be a New York Stock Exchange ETF. I'd be surprised if there wasn't. There's more ETFs than stocks in the US. So there may well be one there. Um, but I, yeah, for, what, for what it's worth, it's a really good question. Um, there is The answer is no, there isn't one in the on the ASX. Um, but I also, just for the, what it's worth, would say I'm not sure you should want that or be looking for it necessarily as an investing idea. I'm not sure there's a an investment thesis that would underpin issuing the NASDAQ just going to New York Stock Exchange. But that's that's just my personal thought. Your thought, Ram, do you know of one? Do you think it's a, a good idea, a bad idea? Do you have any thoughts or feedback? No, it's really made me think. I, I don't know of one, <laughs> but now that now know. that I think about it, it's like, yeah, yeah why isn't there one? Because the calculus <laughs> for, right. for for the for the issuers here is not necessarily yeah. is it a good idea, but can we sell it? And yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. uh, so they've they've potentially missed a trick on that one. But yeah, I, yeah I'd come back yeah. to your point. I mean, I I actually think that. Um, the better companies in the US are, are on the NASDAQ. Uh, that's mm. that's where the, you know, well, I think we're still, a lot of us are, are in that mindset where the, mm. the NASDAQ being tech is all very cutting edge, much riskier kind of stuff. But you look yeah. at the kind of companies that are listed there and they are just so deeply entrenched behemoths within their industry, mm. the gushing cash, you know, they're very likely to be, I mean, it, we could call them blue chips with a straight face, I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. valuations maybe aside for for some of them, but but in terms of in terms of the endurance capacity of the business and in their cash flows, these are wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful business. So I I mm-hmm. certainly I, if I was if the best I could do is buy a, a broad based US index, which was a lot of NYSE, but also a bunch of Nasdaq. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. You you want the Googles and the Amazons and all of that other <laughs> yeah, kind of stuff because right. and the Netflixes and that they're great yeah. businesses. Yeah. It's a really good point, and that, yeah, and that's that's my that's my broad point. I think once upon a time, S and P was the was the New York Stock Exchange. It just they, they took the biggest five hundred. That's what they called it, and then someone at S and P decided they should probably add big companies that weren't on the New York Stock Exchange. It made no sense to exclude them, but when you do that, it didn't make any sense to have something ex, you know an S and P X Nasdaq just made no no, no logical sense. Yeah, Mate, we're yeah. done. We are nice. finished. Thank you, fools, for listening, sharing some time with us on this particular. Motley Fool mailbag episode. Uh, we've given you well and truly plenty of reason, plenty of requests, and frankly, I've just about begged you to like, review, and subscribe. So please do that if you haven't already, but I'll leave it there. If you are on the socials, jump on. I'll go do it in reverse just to change it up a little bit. Info at fool.com.au is the best email address to get us on. Our member services team will get our your emails to us, which will be good. If you're on Facebook, and who isn't these days, even your grandmother's on Facebook, go to uh, facebook.com slash the Motley Fool Australia or slash Scott Phillips Money. If you're on Insta and or Twitter, my handle is TMF Scott P on both. And the Motley Fool AU is the handle on both. And if you're only on Twitter, or if you're on Twitter as well, but you want to follow Andrew or Strawman, you can only do that on Twitter. He's exclusive to Twitter. I'm sure there's a endorsement deal coming at some point very soon. You can <laughs> I wish. 
Oh, I'm saying you're, you're going to pay them. No, I'm kidding. Uh, oh, no. You can <laughs> up no, on Twitter. No, 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 no. At Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest. And you can get all of Andrew's goodness uh, directly to your Twitter feed. Jumping on the Twitter machine and you'll get it all there. Fools, thank you very much for spending some time with us. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next Friday with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. See you then. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.